Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone. It is Wednesday night, and that means it's time for Friends in Fiction. And we are so happy you are here with us tonight. I am Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support independent bookstores, authors, librarians, readers, watchers. So tonight <laughs> we have an incredible night. We will be talking with Jane Green about her art, her life, and her newest and first historical fiction novel, Sister Stardust. And then in the after show, we are so lucky to get to talk to Kimberly Brock about her newest, The Lost Book of Eleanor Dare, a reimagining of what happened to the lost colony of Roanoke. But before we continue, I have to tell you that Kristen Harmel just pinged us because she was checking. <laughs> and we literally right now just hit 70,000 70, on the dot. <laughs> members yes, on our Facebook How cool page. is that? That was crazy. The week that we are celebrating our two-year anniversary, who could have imagined 70,000 members? Never. It's gosh. so great. We love y'all. We are so grateful. We are. Yeah. And as you know, um, from the very start of Friends in Fiction two years ago, we wanted and we continue to encourage you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. And one way to do that is to visit our own friends and fiction bookshop.org page where you can find Jane and Kimberly's books and books by the four of us and our past guests at a discount. We also want to remind you that Mary Kay's The Home Records is out next week. Yay! That's just six days from now on May 3rd. We are so excited about it. It is, oh my gosh, it's so her book, good. Damn it. um, it's so I good. Book, damn it, it is amazing. So of course it is available wherever books are sold. Um, and we are going to have a huge launch party right here on Friends in Fiction with you, which we promise is going to be so much fun. But if you want a hand-signed first edition of the book, which is a big deal. And also a hand-signed first edition of Christie's, which came out four weeks ago, The Wedding Veil, plus a free gift. You can order the spring Friends and Fiction box from our friends at Independent Bookstore Oxford Exchange. You will receive a beautiful delivery of both books, each of them signed as soon as they're released. And guess what? Our Kristen Harmel's The Forest of Vanishing <laughs> Stars is also out in paperback Ooh. next last year we had a full-on musical because <laughs> Kristen can do literally everything and everything. this year we will also celebrate with a special show <laughs> and a never before seen video so tune in next week for our super fun launch for both of these books and so make sure fun. that 
you're not an after show person, make sure you stick around for the after show. <laughs> it's gonna Who's be so not fun. an after show person? Seriously. We have the, the best show after shows around. The after show. Okay. And speaking of paperbacks, Mary Kay's paperback of The Newcomer came out yesterday. So oh, if you hey. missed it last year, which I can't imagine that you did, but if you did, <laughs> it's time to order it now. Look, here's what it looks like. Ain't it pretty? Ooh, cute. Love it. I wish I had my shark hat. I wish I had my shark hat. Yeah. And, and in case y'all are wondering why the bookshelves behind me are completely covered in Mary Kay books, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not weirdly <laughs> obsessed. I'm actually I thought you were Mary just Kay's. a. Oh, I thought you were just a big fan. Mm, I'm in Mary Kay's hallway. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, in honor of all things bookish, we hope you have heard about our brand new partnership with Fable. More than 160 of you have already joined our friends in fiction behind the book, our premium club on the cool new social platform called Fable. Our first selection is my new book, The Wedding Veil, and it's been really neat to see all the amazing conversation already happening in the club. Members are introducing themselves, beginning to read and highlight text and start conversations based on my annotations. It's really great. That's right. Y'all responded to our announcement with such enthusiasm last week, and we are so excited to keep spreading the word. Tonight, we've invited a special guest, Kim Marsh, to tell us a little bit more about Fable. Sean, Invite Kim in, please. <laughs> Hi, Kim. Hey, Kim. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. So, so, Kim, for those of our audience out there who don't know a lot about Fable yet, can you tell us why Fable is a unique experience like no other? Absolutely. Um, I mean, in Fable, on Fable, you can be inside the book with Christy, with the rest of the members of the club, you're actually reading the ebook and coming upon one another's highlights. You can see who's highlighted it. You can click to view the annotation. Um, it's like the experience of passing a book back and forth between friends, but there are 160 friends in this club, including Christy, um, <laughs> sharing her experiences writing the book itself. Um, so it is, it feels like magic to me um, as a lifelong reader. That's really cool. That's, yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah. and every month we'll Look, pick a new book. We have people commenting about how much they love Fable it. Is fun. Yeah. Thanks, oh, Debbie. Awesome. Oh, thanks, Molly. I'm loving Fable, she says. Great. And every month we'll pick a new book. So this this month is Christie's. And, um, but the app is free, right? And some of the clubs you host are free, but some have subscription fees. Can you explain how that breaks down, what's yes. included in the monthly and annual fees, all of that? Yes, absolutely. So Fable is free for anyone to join. And actually, anyone can start a book club on Fable and invite oh. friends to join. So, you know, oh, read wow. a couple of friends. Yeah. Or start a public club and grow it to 70,000 users, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but some of the clubs are premium clubs and they do cost money to join. Um, so the friends in fiction premium club is $4.99 to join that single club $4.99 per month. Um, and so you can join for Christie's book. You can, if you haven't yet, um, we hope that you will, or you can join for, um, the next book coming up. It may or may not be Mary Kay's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did I say it? 
Do I say it? <laughs> um, and so you'll get to read with Mary Kay in the, in the club. Um, or you can sign up for an annual all access membership to Fable. And that gives you access to, you know, a year's worth of the friends in fiction behind the book club, but also all of the other premium book clubs on Fable, including LeVar Burton's book club. He's picking a new book every month to read with him. And he is in that club. Um, commenting and responding to readers all the time. Lots of other really cool um, clubs. So check it out. That's awesome. We were actually just discussing what a cool Mother's Day if that would be. Yeah. Because like, it's, it's yeah. $70 for the year. Is that right? It is. Yeah. $70 for the year. And it's every premium club, including ours, which is really yeah. cool. So yeah. it's yes. awesome. All right. So Fable has an e-commerce book selling component to it, which we think mm-hmm. is a really cool feature. But do the members have to buy the book from Fable? No, they definitely do not. They can shop from bookshop.org. If you are, you know, a hard, hard copy reader um, through and through, that's totally fine. You're still able to join the discussion and participate, um, view all of the kind of highlighted um, passages from Christy and from other members of the club. Um, so you still get that full immersive experience. Right. Awesome. Now, can members participate on their computer or do they need the app on their phone? How does that work, Kim? They need the app. They do. Um, so you'll sign up on kind of like a web page and it will prompt you to download the app. Um, so I have it here on my phone. Um, but any app um, friendly device, so iOS or Android, um, any tablet, um, any phone. Um, so you can access it right there. Um, and you can open and read the book right inside the club as well as accessing the, the discussion. That's so, so cool. cool. It's just such an interesting, new, innovative way to read together. So, Kim, thank you so much for coming tonight. Thanks for joining us. We are so excited to grow Friends and Fiction behind the book with the Fable team. And we yeah. hope lots and lots more of you out there in our Friends and Fiction community will join us on Fable for this truly unique and immersive experience. So visit fable.co backslash friends and fiction to sign up today. So that's fable.co backslash friends and fiction. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Okay. And before we move on, we have to announce a winner because drum roll. Carolyn McDonough is lucky winner of the adorable friends and fiction rolling cart stocked with books. Congratulations, Carolyn. Meg (laughs) will be in touch by via the email address you provided. That's the best gift ever. So cool. Okay, and have you heard? Can we do another drum roll? I feel another like this drum is roll. Another drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> and Meg and Ron are hitting the road. We're part of it's it. True. Yeah. It's real. It's happening. We have three Friends of Fiction live events this summer. So the first is going to be on May 4th in Cleveland, home of our dear friend Ron Block, who will be hosting us for a bit. Um, oh, for a Theater events with the Cuyahoga County Library System. And then we're headed to the Jersey Shore two weeks later on Friday, May 20th for another (laughs) fun. I just am in love with that poster. I know. More about that poster in a second. We're, We're headed to the Jersey Shore two weeks later on Friday, May 20th for another fun theater event, this time with independent bookstore Booktown in Manasquan, New Jersey. We also have a third event, a luncheon on July 21st in Rehoboth County, Delaware, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. 
We'll share that ticketing link soon. And we really hope that you can join us on the road at one of these live celebrations. We are so excited. We started this in lockdown when we couldn't leave. Yeah. And we're so excited for the opportunity to see so many of you in person. So excited. Yeah. I just am excited about room service. <laughs> I know, right? Again, finally. Super excited about being in a hotel with room service. Okay, so what before without merch? We are having super cool limited edition tour posters made up. You just saw uh, the mock-up of it. There it is. They'll be autographed by all four of us. They'll be for sale at all three of our live tour events. If there are any left over after the tour, we might make them available to those of you who couldn't make it in person. But why would you not make it in person? I mean, silly. Lots of yeah, options. We feel like a real band now. We have tour posters. We like, are. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me to sing. Okay, you guys, let's welcome our guest for the evening, Jane Green. I'm so excited. <laughs> To have her on tonight. Jane is the author of over 20 novels, 20 novels, including 18 New York Times bestsellers, a cookbook, and various short stories. She has over 10 million books in print worldwide, and her work is published in over 25 languages. What a freaking career. I know, right? Yeah. And you know, Jane has had her own radio show on the BBC Radio London. She was part of the ABC News team covering royal weddings. She's mm. made regular appearances on TV and radio, and she contributes to several newspapers and magazines. A graduate of the International Culinary Institute in New York, Jane is an avid cook as well as an amateur decorator and a passionate gardener. Is there anything she doesn't do? No, there is not. She is a Jane of all trades, right? <laughs> she lives in Westport, Connecticut with her husband and their animals. Her new novel, Sister Stardust, was released on April 5th, and it is her first novel inspired by a true story, reimagining the life of troubled icon, to, is it Talitha Getty? Yes. Talitha Getty, during the swinging 60s. So, Sean, let's bring Jane on. Hi. Hey. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jane. We are so happy to have you here. Oh, so I, I'm, I'm so excited to be on. You girls are just a force. Honestly, you're <laughs> watching what you've done with Friends and Fiction have been glorious. So congratulations and thank you. I feel very, very lucky to be on oh, your show. Oh, we feel lucky that you joined us. Our pleasure. So, you. Before we dive in, because we have so much to talk about, we have to lift our glasses. We sent Jane some champagne to celebrate with us. <laughs> Because, Jane, you are here for our two-year anniversary. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. 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 It's 70,000. <laughs> 70,000 in two years. Who? That's right. Oh, we, love and we, can't, we, we really can't even express to all of you how much you have meant to us uh, over the past two years. Yeah, it has just been such an incredible journey. And Jane, we're so thankful that you're here to celebrate with us tonight. I, as am I. And, and yes, it has been a brutal two years. And to have this and to have just, you know, sunny people bringing wonderful stories is what we've all needed. So Thank oh, you. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much for saying that. But you know, I, I, it's it's the community out there that I mean, that's that's what we're all about. And you know, for all of you out there, the incredible laughter, tears, and real conversations we've had with you through the years. Um, that's what sustained us through some rough times and some celebratory times too. We're just, um, we're so 
honored and proud to be doing this and so honored to be walking this road with all of you. Like yes. who would have thought? This is amazing. So yeah. much fun. So thank you for the time ahead. Here's to everyone. Cheers, y'all. Here's to everyone. And I, I always think people are surprised to hear about the community that exists within the world of women writers. It's actually, it's, I have never experienced anything like it. I mean, everybody that I know is willing to build everybody else up and there's so much support and it's actually, you would expect there to be some competition, but I I really haven't encountered it. Um, And what I encounter far more is is this, that you've come together to, to raise other authors up. All right, Jane, what a whirlwind it has been for you and this book, your first historical fiction. Yeah. So first things first, I was recently with Kate Quinn and she asked me this fabulous question that I'm going to ask you. Tell us what your book, Sister Stardust, is about, and then tell us what it is really about. Love that. Ooh. (laughs) So, so what Sister Stardust follows a young shop girl called Claire in 1960s England. And she grows up in the countryside at a time when England suddenly bursts into colour because we'd been recovering from the war. There was no money. Everything was terribly depressed. Um, and all of a sudden, a number of things happened in England. England won the World Cup in football. Um, we had the pill. And so there was the sexual revolution. Um, and we had our own music for the first time ever in history. We had the Beatles, it's not, it's not me digging. I'm just saying. I know, I just looked at my phone. It's not me either. Okay. You know, it, 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 it almost, it almost feels like it's like someone saying, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Like, every, every time. I'm going to be honest, it's, it's me. I have a new computer and I'm just sitting here trying to figure out how to turn off my notifications. Sorry, oh, guys. I, I, I have such an electric personality. I'm causing that. Um, I love it. I love it. So we had our own musicians. We had the Beatles and we had the Rolling Stones. And so Claire is watching London burst into colour and burst into life. And she finally manages to get to London. And once there, um, she gets swept up by a band of kind of cool people. Some of them are, are musicians and, and they're, they're very, they're, they're in the world. And they spirit her off after a party one night to go and stay with Paul and Talita Getty in Marrakesh. And uh, Paul Getty Jr. was the son of, at the time, the richest man in the world. Do you remember the boy who had his, who was kidnapped and had his ear cut off? Yes. This is his father. So his father's second wife was Talita, was an actress socialite called Talita Pohl. Talita, not Talita. 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 She was a socialite and an actress and they fell madly in love and they bought an old dilapidated palace in Marrakesh. So Claire, who is renamed Cece because it's it's more bohemian and free-spirited, um, 
stays with them in Marrakesh. And it seems to be an impossibly glamorous life. Vogue would write about them all the time. Diana Vreeland spent a lot of time in Marrakesh and she was great friends with the Gettys. And she would write about Mrs. Getty going, walking the souks every morning to look for entertainers to amuse her guests that night. So she would walk the souks in the old market looking for for snake charmers and jugglers and magicians to, to come back and entertain the guests on their rooftop terrace. But Claire gets caught up in this world of Arabian nights that feels completely magical. But of course, behind the scenes, they are diving into opium addiction first and then ultimately heroin addiction. And and our little innocent Cece um, has no idea the danger that she has put herself in by stepping into this incredibly glamorous world. So that is what the book is about. But what the book is really about love that. is I think it's it's um you know, I first saw a photograph of Talita Getty when I was a teenager. I happen to have one here in my office, which is very handy. Um, That is Talita. That is the photo that I saw as a teenager, which is a very famous photo um, in England of her on this rooftop in this exquisitely embroidered wedding caftan. And I think I actually fell in love with her. I mean, I saw that when I was probably 12 or 13, a very awkward teenager. And I have spent my whole life wondering about her and wanting to know more so actually what i think sister stardust is is a love letter to the 60s which is when i was born but it was really when i should have come of age <laughs> love letter to marrakesh and it's a love letter to talita getty that that, oh, that is really what what this book is Mm. Beautiful. I love that so much. Well, Jane, as we um, sort of covered in your bio a little bit, you have so many talents and so many interests. And I know for all of us, sometimes, you know, the big question is, what do we write next? You know, what is the next thing? Because we have so many ideas. And um, I know you've talked about, you know, other contemporary story ideas, maybe even a memoir. So for you, what was that spark that, that made you say, you know, this is time, this is the book? right now actually honestly it was my very brilliant editor um so when i moved to hanover square i have an editor called john glynn who is himself a writer and he wrote a beautiful memoir called out east about a summer he spent house sharing in montauk and it was the with friends and it was the summer when he really discovered who he was um and and this is the thing because publishing has been in in some turmoil for the past few years um, I, I'm sure that many of us have experienced this where where there's a, a, a thing that, that happens where they'll look at something that's working. And they'll go, oh, Gone Girl's a huge hit. Jane, we need you to write a psychological thriller. And they start yeah. to sort of try and squeeze you into the, the holes that they think are working rather than letting you write what you want to write. And I, I felt that for quite some time. Um, when I joined Hanover Square at HarperCollins, John said, have you ever thought about writing historical fiction? And as soon as he said that, I thought, well, do the 60s count? Um, And when I told him what I knew about Talita Getty, he said, yes. He said, you have to write this because I can feel your passion. And actually, Mm. he's always said that. Even when I handed this book in and we started talking about my next book, 
he said, I don't care what you write as long as you're passionate about it. And that wow. is because he's a writer, because he understands that you cannot fit a round peg into a square. I mean, you can try, but ultimately it doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so that was really where it all came from. I love um, that. That's interesting. You know, um, I actually know John a little bit because I, I blurbed a book of his a year or two ago um, that he had edited called All Blood Runs Red, I think was the name of the book. And it was a great nonfiction book. I loved it. I, I just I loved his passion for it. So that's so interesting to hear you talk about him and, and his influence kind of on um, on this path. It's, it's, it's nice when you come across an editor who can kind of help steer you or yes. you know, help, help, help build you up to do what you were meant to do sort of. If that makes and, sense. and also, I mean, they, they did, I have to say, you know, there have been things that they've done that have blown me away. So for example, the cover, which, you know, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. It's gorgeous, but it also captures the sort of magic and exoticism of the book and yeah, the art, the whole creative team, read this book cover to cover oh, that's and nice. they actually took me through the whole process of them coming up with this cover and and I know Patty and I have shared this you know so often you'll write a book that sometimes has a dark subject or and mm. because it comes out in summer and because I don't know an Ellen Hildebrand book is the book of the moment they'll put a similar cover on even when it has nothing to do with yes. the story and I felt like they did a beautiful job of of capturing the story and also John was the one my working title for this book so when they they bought they went to Mar Talita and Paul Getty went to Marrakesh on their honeymoon and they met their friend Bill Willis there who was a Kentucky boy who had fallen in love with Marrakesh he'd moved to Marrakesh and by the way he taught he loved everything to do with Morocco but he taught his chef his Moroccan chef Habibi to cook his mother's southern cheese souffle and oh. his mother's southern <laughs> recipes. So get come for dinner and they would serve them southern recipes, southern American recipes. Uh. But he he showed them this dilapidated palace called the Le Palais de la Zahir, and by the end of the first day, they bought it for ten thousand uh. dollars. And Bill as, Wilson, as you do. As you do. As you do. Um, and Bill Willis was in charge of renovating it. Um, and he just, he created this extraordinary palace that Talita renamed Le Palais des Plaisirs, which is the Palace ah. of Pleasures or the Pleasure Palace. So my working title and the title that I came up with for this book was The Pleasure Palace. But then John said, I've, I've spoken to sales and they think it sounds like erotica. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little, maybe, maybe a little. Well, it's to Stardust. So by himself, it's the most perfect title. So uh, It really is. So Jane, this book takes place in the 60s of London with all that entails. I mean, you've been sharing so much about it, but you know, it was 60s in London. My gosh, like what I wouldn't give to travel back to that time. The Beatles, the Stones, the I just drugs, want to wear the, the partying and yeah. the clothes, clothes, 100%. So Publishers Weekly said about the book, Green convincingly describes the appeal of the music scene, as well as the allure of her beautiful characters, both famous and fictional. Green's fans will be delighted by this story of glitter and tragedy. What a great review. So we would love it, Jean, if you could talk to us about your research. I mean, it's so clear how how deeply you have, um, you've kind of plunged into this world and really immersed yourself in it. But we would love to know... Um, 
how how you dove into this world and specifically the music and the scene of that time yeah. and most specifically the Rolling Stones. I mean, okay. well, <laughs> I'm asking these questions. So, you know, what what was fascinating to me? I'd seen that photograph. I was fascinated by Talita Getty. But, you know, as so often happens in these very wealthy, powerful families who, that have great tragedies, they lock down. And mm. Talita actually died of a heroin overdose at the age of 30. Oh, um, so in in the Rome apartment that her husband owned. And she'd gone back to, wow. some say to reconcile with him, some say oh. to serve in divorce papers. But there was there was the story around her death changed um, a couple of times. And, and I think that the Getty family sort of locked down. So there's very, very little written about her. And so I had to come at it sideways and I had to make lists of, anyone who was around at that time who was in that sort of social scene in London, in Marrakesh, mm -hmm. and read everything I could get my hands on. Um, I also decided to move back to London from Connecticut oh. to write this book. On this oh, book. wow. Um, now, it wasn't, I, I had a whole list of people that I was supposed to meet with. But as soon as I got to London, they went into lockdown. Mm -hmm. oh. And we were only allowed out for like an hour a day for exercise. And so I, you know, I didn't end up meeting um, many of the people that I wanted to. Also, I was I was astonished at how many people did not want to revisit those times. And oh, yeah, wow. I also understand that, you know, there, there's a woman called Jane Ormsby Gore, who was at the center of that world in the 60s. She's she's an um, aristocrat, the daughter of Lord Harlot in London. And she um, has said, if you remember the 60s, you weren't, you weren't there. there. Yeah. Wow, and so, yeah. You know, it is possible that people don't remember. But I also think so many unbelievably talented bright lights lost their lives too early. Then yeah. Jimi Hendrix, Chandler's Joplin, Talita Getty, and the list goes. Tara on. Brown. Yes, Tara Brown. Exactly. The list goes on and on. I think it's probably quite painful to revisit. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I did find people who were friends with Talita um, who spoke to me. Wow. And then. Wow. I was not a Rolling Stones fan. I wasn't particularly interested in the Stones, but I suddenly sort of stumbled upon their connection with Morocco. And mm -hmm. and in the 60s, there was actually, a, a. it started with Brian Jones. And Brian Jones was the founder of the Rolling Stones. He was a very good-looking, talented musician. He put the band together. He found Keith and Mick. He named them. He was the one who decided they'd be called the Rolling Stones. But he had a huge drug problem, um, and he also had a very abusive childhood, which led him to very abusive relationships. He fathered a number of, of kids. Um, he had a girlfriend called Anita Pallenberg, who was a very beautiful model actress. Um, he would beat her up all the time. She would slug him back. It was madly dysfunctional. And Brian, as he as he sort of got further into drugs, he tried to cling on to to being the he tell everybody he was the leader of the Rolling Stones. And we had a newspaper at the time called The News of the World, which was like the National Enquirer. And they were doing a series of stories about celebrities and drug taking. And two journalists from the National Enquirer 
National Enquirer happened to be in a pub um, in Chelsea and they saw a member of the Rolling Stones in there and they invited him to come and sit with them. This was in 1967. He came and sat down at the table and within minutes he was offering them drugs. He was asking if they knew where he could score some more. And a week later, a story came out in the news blog, Mick Jagger and his drug problem. But it wasn't Mick Jagger. It was Bronson Jones. Mick Jagger sued the news of the world and won. So to get their own back, the news of the world set up a sting. And they brought somebody over who they said was a friend of Timothy Leary. So, so Dr. Timothy Leary was a Harvard professor doing all of this research into psychedelic drugs. Yeah. And they brought this man over called Dave Schneiderman. And through Keith Richards, one of the chauffeurs, they got him into the Rolling Stones. And he was like, hey, man, I've got the best LSD you've ever had from Tim Leary. And and. <laughs> All, um, he supplied them with the drugs and they all went off to Keith Richards' house in Sussex, his wonderful country house that he still owns today. Um, and they, they spent the day going for walks in the country doing this LSD trip. And when they got back to the house in the evening, coming down, planning on having a quiet night, all of a sudden floodlights went on around the house. <gasps> and they were surrounded. They'd been tipped off by the news of the world. Uh- and the police, 18 policemen were there. They they stormed inside. They arrested everyone. Now, eventually the charges were dropped. But to get away from all of the press, they decided to go to Morocco. And Keith Richards had a Bentley Esprit Continental. And in the back, he, they'd sort of made the back. They'd customized the back. So there were fur rugs. There were record players and porn magazines. Um, and uh, Brian Jones and his girlfriend, Anita, and Keith Richards were in the back of this car. They picked up another friend, Deborah, but then they dropped her off in Paris. The car also had secret drug compartments all over the place. So they actually sent Keith's chauffeur he drove over on the ferry to France and they flew over and met him in France so that he cleared customs with all the hidden doors. And they started making their way to Morocco. And then Brian, who always had asthma, suddenly developed pneumonia. And so they had to drop him off at a hospital in France, leaving Anita Pallenberg and Keith Richards alone in the back of the Bentley S3 Continental, which was actually called the Blue Lena, um, with the fur rugs and the porn magazines, they fell madly in love because Keith also had watched Brian beat Anita up. I mean, he couldn't stand how Brian treated Anita. And and Keith and Anita were then together for the next um, 13 years. And And that really informed the whole story. I, I didn't, I, I mean, I knew about Peter, but I, I didn't know that. And that ended up taking the story in a completely different direction. And they were, you know, every time the heat, it got too hot for them in the UK, the stones would take off for, um, take off for Morocco. And in fact, Mick Jagger and Marianne Faithful were great friends with the Geshis. And this is in the book, and it's it's true that when when they recorded Wild Horses, um, they actually left, Mick Jagger left the tape of Wild Horses at the Geshis Palace for them to listen to. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I would have fallen into that research hole forever. (laughs) 
keep going. And then what happened? And then what happened? I mean, the stories I it's I've become so obsessed with the Rolling Stones that I actually, of course, I'm a menopausal woman. I don't sleep anymore ever. So at three or four o'clock in the morning last week, I was sitting there thinking, um, thinking, I, you know, Charlie's now gone. I really need to see them. I've never seen them. And then I looked up to see where they were playing and they were playing in Hyde Park in London this <gasps> summer. And the thing is, I'm from London, but also Hyde Park, Brian Jones was another one who met a tragic, tragic end. He, they actually ended up having to kick him out of the stones because his drugs, his drug problems were so bad. And he really loved the blues. They were going in different musical directions. And he bought a house called Cotchford Farm in the countryside, which was where A.A. Milne wrote, wrote Winnie the Pooh. Wow. Um, he was found dead in his swimming pool, swimming pool. Yeah. Just yeah. days after he, he left the Rolling Stones. And it was at wow. the time pronounced an accident, although they believe really it was it was it was murder and it was oh. it was one of the builders that was working on his house. But um but they oh. then they had a concert in nineteen sixty nine in Hyde Park, which was three days after Brian died and it turned into a tribute concert to Brian Jones and and Mick Jagger released all these white doves. So I am going to see <gasps> those old boys of rock at Hyde Park. Oh, that's amazing. Now, Jane, and you want to find out when it is. Yeah. Come, the more the merrier. So, Jane, you actually went to Morocco to do research for the book. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. Well, I, funnily enough, I, I always, I feel like I, I fell in love with Morocco because of the photograph and because of my, my sort of, my whole lifelong obsession with Talita. But it was once, it was only once I got to Morocco that I understood how that life must have felt, what it must have been like. Because the minute that you step through, you know, the gates into the old city of Marrakesh, it is otherworldly. It is unlike anywhere I've ever been that the, the, the sights and the colours and the smells, you have orange trees everywhere. So you have the, the scent of orange blossom mixing with the spices from the suits and and in the evenings they they burn sandalwood logs in fire puts in the in Shmail and the square and then you have the animal heads hanging from the suits sort of dripping blood so you have this kind of that warm metallic smell of blood mixing with the spices and it now all I want to go well it smells like life it it is a place oh, wow. that it feels more alive than anywhere I've ever been. And yeah. it's very hard to sort of capture those times. I, I don't think I could have done it had I not been, because I understood how you're just sort of, it's a feast for the senses and how you can get swept up. Because the truth is, a lot of how they lived, I couldn't put in the book. I mean, the, yeah. truly, the, their party, she was famous for her parties. And she would announce that we're, we're going to go for a picnic in the Atlas Mountains. And all of the houseboys would have to sort of cart all of the, the brass trays with all the food and rugs and cushions. Um, and they would devolve into these sort of orgiastic affairs. It was free love. Um, and 
today's standards doesn't support that. But when you go there, you sort of understand how it was part of the counterculture. It, you know, free love was all the rage and how they just sort of let their senses take over. They also used to serve the delicacy in uh, when people would get to the palace was something called majoon, which is an ancient Amazigh recipe, which used to be called Berber, um, for um, a kind of sweet meat that is made of chopped dates, figs, rose water, pistachios, cardamom, cinnamon, and hashish. Oh, my gosh. And so their guests would be lounging on the pillows on the rooftop and they'd just have a little nibble here and a little bite here. And, a, and all of a sudden they'd be, you know, away with the fairies. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> so love it. Marrakesh. I love it. So let's All talk right. about. Oh, no, ahead, Kanye, are you going to ask this question? Nope. Go, go, Kathy. No, you ask it. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about creative outlets, Jane. Anyone who follows you on social media, and everyone should, knows about your extraordinary interior decorating, your cooking talents. You have a cookbook, and you are so multi talented that you have made art, clothing, and jewelry as companions for this book. So talk to us a little bit about that and how that might be part of your creative process. Does it help the writing? Like, and, and, and can anybody find or buy all these amazing things you've done? Um, well, I, you know, I, this is the first time this has ever happened. I was an art student. I did go to art school, but I haven't really done anything for decades and decades. But there was something about writing this book. And I, I am very binary. I'm all or nothing. So I really immersed myself in this world for the two years. I mean, I just, I lived, ate, breathed, slept. But I found at some point quite early on, it sort of reawakened a creativity that I thought I had left behind years yeah. ago. And the last time I painted anything was in my 20s. And all of a sudden, I found myself sketching scenes from the book and characters from the book and Talita. And and so I have these paintings now that, that I have been selling. Um, and um, and then that, that famous picture that I showed you, she's wearing a traditional um, Moroccan wedding caftan. But I took the pattern and used it as inspiration and painted it and had it printed onto silk chiffon and and made into um, caftans that I designed. Oh, and so they are all, I have a retail partner, um, so we are selling them, you know, in the flesh. But I also set up a shop on Instagram. And I, I did, she loves snakes. Um, I, I have a snake pendant that I have made, the Talita pendant. So I, I have all these fun things that I have really loved jumping back into sort of those early days where I started as an art and fashion student. I've just, I've, I've adored rediscovering this, this side of my creative because writing is creative, but, but this is a different side of my creativity that I haven't visited for a long time. I figured they were interlocking. So we have so many live questions, but we've been talking so much. But Mary Kay, will you pick one of the live? Yeah, here's a good them? one. Uh, Sharon Carlson Person wants to know, Jane, do you have a playlist of songs to go along with the book, Sister Startup? <laughs> that is the perfect question because, yes, I do. <laughs> um, we did not plant that question. Yes, 
Well, that's perfect. Um, actually, I did because to immerse myself fully, I started listening to to all of the songs that I grew up with. Actually, they were they are the songs of my childhood, and and I want to say this as well. I love those books about the sixties and seventies. Here, I loved. Malibu Rise and Daisy Jones and the Six. I love Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau. I could, that wasn't my experience. My experience was not Woodstock and Flower Power and Hate Ashbury and, and the Summer of Love. The experience in Europe was very different. It was still counterculture, but it was much more influenced by, by Africa. And, and so I put together um, a playlist of all of the songs that, that, I loved from that from the time that Sister Stardust had. So it's really from 1966 to 1971. Um, and it's the Sister Stardust playlist on Spotify. So ah, yeah. that was cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I can't wait to check that out. Well, Jane, um, we love a good writing tip. We really do. And we know your first book came out in 1997 and then Jemima J in 1998 took a rocket ship to the moon. And so we know that everyone wants to hear your writing tip tonight, if you would like to share one with us. So actually, my my writing tip is that you need a PhD to write. But in my world, what that is, is persistence, because you're going to hit roadblocks every step of the way. Humility. Because, it's, you know, it's in the beginning, you think, oh, well, these are my words. No one has the right to tell me what to do. But you have to, <laughs> you know, either a really smart friend or a really good editor, and you have to trust them and listen to them. And discipline, because it's really about getting your butt in that chair and getting those words on the page. I, like I love that. Love Persistence, that. humility, discipline. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Might have to take up needlepoint again. <laughs> <laughs> Jane, maybe you can paint something with that. Yeah. Paint it. something, but for needle pointing. Yeah, no, PhD. No. Just no, something. Yeah. PhD. Okay. So we usually ask authors to give us a book suggestion. We'd love that too. But there is a question that the New York Times book review asks of authors. And so we're going to ask you tonight, Jane, what book? might we be surprised to find in your library or on your nightstand? Um, so I do actually, I, it, it is unopened, which tells you probably that this is not in my future, but I do have screenwriting for dummies. Oh, um, wow. Um, and I, I have, I, I was brought in to do a rewrite on a screenplay and, and I had a partner and it was great. I actually don't think I'm a natural screenwriter, but it's one of those things that every now and then I feel like I ought to to study it and learn. But then every time I do, it's just like it's like Latin to me. I it's not my language, so um, so I don't know. But it's still there, so you never know. I haven't got rid of it yet. I haven't given it to anyone, so <laughs> you never know. I may go through it page by page. <laughs> I'm the same way. It seems seems like an entirely different different vocabulary to me it is it is yeah how about a book suggestion is there something you're loving um yes there are uh, lots of book that books that i'm loving um i have to push john sells her last oh, affair yes, he likes yeah. I really love Mystique Island by Sarah McCoy yeah. which also goes back to the 70s and funnily enough the photographer who took that picture of Paul and Talita Getty 
was Patrick Litchfield, Lord Litchfield, who features heavily in Mystique Island. Oh, my so, God. Wow. And I have decided we're going to start a new genre called Caftan Lit. Um, <laughs> I love our Sarah. She's Mystique awesome. Island. I also, other books I'm really loving, and it's not out yet, but The Sweet Spot by Amy Popel. Okay. Um, which is wonderful. And then Marcy Damansky, who wrote Very Nice, which was one of my most favorite books of a couple of years ago, has a new book coming out called Hurricane Girl. And it's if you liked um, Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria yes. Semple. Which I did, I loved. And she is, she Marcy Damansky is just a gorgeous writer, quirky, funny, really really lovely and and ought to be ought to be huge so so the more people we can get to read her books the better awesome good that's great know. good to oh. know all right jane don't go anywhere please just stick around for a couple more minutes because we have more to talk about but we have to send out a few reminders all right. So do you need an idea for a great hostess, teacher, or Mother's Day gift? We suggest, completely selflessly, the Friends in Fiction book and coffee bundles available through our friends at Charleston Coffee Roasters. You choose a signed book by one of us, and then you select the coffee roast and the grind of your choice. So you pay one price for the bundle and receive your book and coffee pairing in the mail. Check the bundles out at charlestoncoffeeroasters.com. Also, remember to enter our ongoing Coffee of the Month giveaway. Tonight, we can announce our April winner, who was randomly drawn, but who happens to be someone who has been so darn supportive of Friends in Fiction for so long, which I feel like is just a special kind of magic as we're celebrating yeah. our second anniversary and our 70,000. Yeah. Anyhow, Patty, are you up for one more drum roll? I'm drum roll always again? up for sound effects. Oh, drum roll. All right. Drum roll, please. That was very complicated. It was, a, it was a beautiful drum roll. I loved it. Thank Huge congratulations really to Bubba Wilson of Wake Forest, North Carolina, our lovely Bubba. So she has won a three-month subscription, which is a $90 value. And we are wondering, will you out there be our May winner? You can enter now and find out. And don't forget that everyone in the Friends and Fiction community, which includes all of us on here on screen who also love Charleston Coffee Roasters, get 20% off all bagged coffees on the Charleston Coffee Roasters website with code Coffee with Friends. No spaces, Coffee with Friends. And now for a quick reminder of our Writer's Block podcast, we'll always drop links under announcements each time a new one drops. A new episode launches each Friday. On the last episode, Ron talked to Rachel Barenbaum about Atomic Anna and Bonnie Garmas about Lessons in Chemistry. That book is so hot it's right now. Everywhere. I'm yeah, reading it now. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And so Ron talks to both of them about women's science and fiction. Then this week, Ron and I get to talk about, uh, uh, have a behind the scenes chat about the homewreckers. Awesome. All right. Yay. Speaking of the homewreckers, we know that many of you have been participating in our very first Friends in Fiction reading challenge. And next month, we start a new challenge. May is all about the beach read. It's been so fun seeing the books you're sharing in our challenge. And um, we can't believe we're already in month five. Wow. I know. Did somebody say beach reads? <laughs> I mean, might have an idea of something you could read that's a beach read. Thinking. 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 Thinking of a beach read. Yes. <laughs> and by the way, if you are not hanging out with us yet in the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club, 
you're missing out. So the group, which is separate from us and is run by our friends, Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, is, as you know, now more than 11,000 strong. We are so proud of them, so happy for them. Um, so it's completely free and it gives you incredible insight into the authors of your favorite books. We've been talking a lot about Fable. It's something completely separate. They're two totally different things. And this is incredible. I mean, Brenda and Lisa pour their whole hearts into it. And all 11,000 of you who are there with them know that. So make sure to join the May 6th, that's a week from this Friday, for a special happy hour with our very own Ron Block and Patty Callahan Henry. And then very soon, they will be welcoming friends and fiction favorite Wiley Cash, who we all adore. And make sure to join us for our next episode of Friends in Fiction next Wednesday at 7 p.m., where we are celebrating the launch of Mary Kay's The Homewreckers with hats. There you go. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Possibly beards. Yep. Possibly beards and definitely and, and a definite friends in fiction theater. So, and we will also be celebrating Kristen's launch of the paperback of the Forest of Vanishing Stars. As always, if you're wondering <laughs> what schedule is up next, it's always on the website and the header graphic on the Facebook page. All right, Jane, you were up one more time. So I know you grew up for many years in England. I'm curious what the values around reading and writing were in your childhood. Oh, well, I mean, I always say that I became a writer because I was a reader and I became a reader because I was a child who didn't, who felt that she didn't fit in. I was very shy. I was very awkward. Um, and the place where I found my solace and joy was within the pages of books. And so I, I was the kid, you know, reading with a flashlight under the duvet late at night. I would Pray for rainy days, not difficult in England, obviously. <laughs> rainy days meant we didn't have recess in the playground. We got to hang out in the in the school library and I'd go and curl up in a beanbag. Look, I, I didn't I, I did not have an easy childhood. Um and uh and it was losing myself in stories that saved me and got me through. And um so I I mean that's why I I, I became a writer, no doubt in my mind. That's incredible. I wonder, I mean, I guess we could go back and look at two years worth of shows, but I think I'm going to guess 98% of people say the same things. Books saved me. Books were yeah. my ballast. Well, we, because we become, you know, if you're not, if you're not a kid that is happy and accepted and loved, you're standing on the outside. And, yes. and when you're standing on the outside, you become an observer. You don't have a choice. You're, you're always on the outside. So you become an observer and like and hey I mean I I wouldn't change anything mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for all of it um but uh I, I it is something that I think we all so many of us writers have in common yeah. So, yeah, friends in fiction, welcome to psychology. Yes, exactly. Friends <laughs> in fiction. All right, all of you out there, don't go anywhere. Kimberly Brock is joining us for the after show, but Jane. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, you are amazing. Tell everyone where they can find you, your your caftans, your... Oh, I, you your know, really, I'm most active on Instagram, actually. Okay. So it's Jane Green Author on Instagram. You can view my shop. I'm so sorry that it's very expensive right now, the caftans, but hope we're trying to do a, a, 
a poly chiffon version that will be much more affordable. Um, and um, also, I'm really jealous that you are going to have the after party now with Kimberly Brock because I You're know- You're welcome to join us. Stay. Can can I stay. Say, no, I won't. I'm going to let Kimberly have, have a glorious time with all of you, but I just, thank you. I, I, my most favorite thing was years ago, Mary Kay, came, when I used to live in a very grand big house, which lasted about two seconds, Mary Kay came over because we did an event together and yeah. she said, I'm in Jane Green's double wide. And it was said with such a heavy dose of sarcasm. <laughs> some people were, and they actually thought it was Chris. Like, magnificent. By the way, I now live in the teeny tiniest beach cottage you've ever seen in your life. Um, it's very adorable. I love that we are, I love that, I, you know, I see Mary Kay, I see you, Patty, and I get to meet Kristen and Christy. Um, just, you're delightful, all of you. Thank you. Jane, thank you for having about your art and your books and your process and opening up to us. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Jane. Great okay, y'all hang out for our after show where we'll be welcoming Kimberly Brock. And don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We live there every week. And be sure to come back next week, same time, same place, as we wear hard hats for Mary Kay's The mm-hmm. Hunters and wear flower things for Kristen's paperback <laughs> of The Forest of Vanishing Stars. See y'all in a minute. Good night. Oh, I think <laughs> lost She's probably off buying a caftan. She's buying. She's getting more champagne. Sorry. Did you buy a caftan? <laughs> All right, y'all. Welcome. I did. I shopped really quickly. That's yes, yeah. efficient. That was a, that was kind of stunning. Actually, I know. well, you guys, that was so much fun. It makes me want to go to Marrakesh a little bit. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. So maybe our next Friends in Fiction live event. That's what I'm thinking. Cleveland, Jersey Shore, Rehoboth Beach, Marrakesh. Marrakesh. Mm-hmm. And I know Talita is incredibly fascinating, but those stories about yep. the stones. Oh, wow. my God. And you can just feel her passion. I mean, you can yeah. feel her passion for them. That's I, I love that. You can tell why she ended up making art and jewelry and everything about it because she was yeah. so into it. She's all right. How, how she poured that all into the page, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can just tell when an author feels it in, yeah. in her heart. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right, y'all. We're so excited. We're pals with our friend Kimberly Brock, and we want to welcome her. She is the award-winning author of The River Witch, which was an Amazon bestseller featured by both national and international book clubs. Wait, was I supposed to say something? Patty, <laughs> you're I'll, muted. I'll do it for you. The novel was also honored with the prestigious Georgia Author of the Year Award in 2013 by the Georgia Writers Association. Oh, there it is. I'm sorry. I missed that. <laughs> no worries. No so worries. she received she received her bachelor's degree from the University of West Georgia and previously worked as an actor and a special needs educator. Additionally, in 2014, Kimberly founded Tinderbox Writers Workshop, a creative experience for women in the arts. She lives near Atlanta with her husband and three children. Her new novel, The Lost Book of Eleanor Dare, was just released earlier this month. And so let's bring her on so we can talk to her instead of about her. Hello. Well, can you hear me? Is everything working? It is good. You are great. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much. We are thrilled that you're here. And I read that you said this. Between the day I first read Eleanor Eleanor Dare's message left on a slab of rock 
and the day I sat down to write this novel, I was haunted by the idea of what is lost when we don't tell our stories. And, you know, that's kind of a theme we've been exploring lately. Um, yeah. Yeah. So before we take a deeper dive, can you tell us what we asked Jane earlier? Um, this is our new favorite question. What is this book about? And then what is it really about? <laughs> Love that. Well, we probably should have just listened to Jane for another 30 minutes. I was sitting here watching. <laughs> I, I was totally not paying attention to what time it is. And I guess it's funny to me because you're talking about the stones. So we're going to talk about right. stones, but maybe. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so this book is about um, two mysteries, really. It's about the first mystery being the, the mystery, the oldest mystery in America of the lost colony of Roanoke. And most people know that from like fifth grade history. This one of the first colonies, the first colony that came from England that had women and children. And they landed in North Carolina on this little scrubby island. They were supposed to go on up into Chesapeake Bay and they were dumped off there by the people who were in charge of the boats. And things went wrong really fast. And by the time the, the man that was the governor returned to the colony with supplies, he left three years later, came back and they were all missing. So nobody knows really what happened to them. There's lots of speculation. So that's the first mystery, historical mystery, true. Second historical mystery is about the Dare Stones. And in 1937, a man tripped over a rock in Edenton, North Carolina, that had an inscription written on it. And he threw it in his trunk, and he and his wife were on vacation, and they came on down into Georgia to Emory College, and he took it in, and he said, so what do you think? Because this was the end of the Depression. This was like the time when Barnum was a big deal and there were all of these sort of sketchy, fake effigies and people were making money any way they could. So everybody at the college looked at it and lost their minds because they thought that it was a message from the daughter of the governor of the lost colony. And on the stone, it says there was a massacre that her family, her husband and daughter Virginia Dare, who most people know, who is famous as the first British child that was born in the New World, were killed. And she and only a few had survived. This stone was marking their death date and then also basically telling her father, we're going this away, come find us. So there was this sensation in the news and it was crazy and everybody was all over the world excited about it. A couple of years went by. The stone went to a college about an hour north of where I live now um, here in Atlanta. And they said, if you find any more of these, we'll pay you. And so, you know what happens then? All of these yeah. other stones turn up, right? <laughs> well, about 48 stones were found. And then in 1940, it was all debunked by the Saturday Evening Post, except for the first stone. And nobody has ever been able to prove or disprove that first message. So those two mysteries are the true history. And I went and saw the stone and I was just intrigued by it. It, it annoyed me that I didn't know about it. I couldn't imagine how I didn't know about it. But I didn't know I would be so emotional when I saw it. 
And I mm. cried and I thought, what is wrong with me? I was sitting in my car. The poor little woman that was there in the archive room was like, honey. <laughs> and I cried and I thought, what? Why am I so emotional? And I realized I didn't care if it was true. Wow. I was remembering that woman because of this story. Wow. And the stone was now part of her story, whether it was authentic to the lost colony and her or not. And so I spent about 20 years thinking about that. Wow. And the story that's really the story is her descendants. Um, so 16 generations later, a mother and a daughter that I've imagined and sort of coming to terms with what they believe about their family history and stories that have not been told in their family and stories that they need to know about one another and at the end of World War II, so it's right after those stones were debunked. And I kind of just thought, you know, I know the date on the stone is 1591, supposedly when it was carved. I know when the guy tripped over it and found it in 1937. But where was that sucker all the rest of that time? <laughs> and who might it have mattered to and how? And I thought if it was Eleanor's story, she was telling it for her daughter. And for the next daughter and the next daughter. So that's what it's really about. It's a mother-daughter story. Oh, my God. I love that so much. And, Patty, can I just commend you on bringing that excellent Kate Quinn question to us? Because that is, like, <laughs> the best yes, question. It's a good one. Yes. Yes. The of a story. It's fantastic. It, it sure does. So, um, well, Kimberly, I, you know, I, I feel like if there's a theme to tonight, it is – research that we fall into and fall in love with that pushes us along this path to these these beautiful novels i feel like that's one of the things that you and jane have in common with you know i could just hear your passion as you were talking about uh, talking about oh, the book, i have but... something in common with jane green yeah, that's... <laughs> good i should talk to you more <laughs> you should talk to us more. But, you know, speaking of theme, the theme of loss and grief does run through this book, but so does hope. Yeah. Can you tell us how you work with theme? I mean, we're always curious as writers about, um, you know, about how you work these things in. So do you know the theme when you go in or do the themes kind of arise naturally as you find your way into the story? And also, do you see any other themes in here? Speaking of themes, since it's a theme night, a night of themes. <laughs> <laughs> a theme party. Theme um, party. I love it. <laughs> I think I'm, it's a little of both for me. Isn't it a little of both for all yeah. of us? I mean, I know all of your work too, right? And yeah. I think I go in with an idea of, of what I'm writing about. If I don't have that, un, that underneath, what's the story beneath the story part, I get bored with what I'm doing. They're just kind of stick figures moving around doing, I don't care about them unless I know really what I'm trying to say. And I knew, I knew from the start what this book is really about survivor's guilt. Yeah. Um, and I have that in my own life. And I could imagine Eleanor standing there and thinking, I mean, she was 19 when she came with her father who was the governor and she was pregnant and newly married. And I just, with dad disappearing and then standing there in a wilderness and your child and your husband have died. I don't think Eleanor was standing there thinking, wow, this is really going to turn out great. I'm going to make it. 
you know, I think she just wanted to leave a mark. And I don't know, something about that uh, it worked for me internally for my own subconscious. And, and I was thinking about where you're at at the end of World War II. You don't know you're at the end of World War II when you're yeah. living it. Yeah. And here you are a woman and it's a home front story. It's not, you know, there are a lot of stories right now about women in history who are spies and who are in the European theater. And I don't see a lot of stories about what women were doing on the Georgia coast with a 13 year old daughter looking around going, where are all the men? What's going to happen to us? Yeah. And, and we have, when we have survived the people that we love or even just survived different challenges in our lives, where do you go? How do you know what to do next? What comes next? Who am I? Who are you? Those mother-daughter questions were in it. So I think it's both. The themes have to be there for me. Or I I could have written something about Eleanor, and I tried um, for a long time. I turned in like a, a an entire manuscript, and my agent said, this is great. Now, where's the rest? Because I hadn't written Eleanor's story, and I didn't want to. I felt like I was stomping through a graveyard or I don't know, like it just wasn't my place to make something up for her. And she said, but what, what is this story really about? You know, I know, you know, it's all in your head. And I was not, I fought her for six weeks (laughs) and I woke up in the middle of the night and I could hear it. And it wasn't that third person, typical dual timeline. It was, it was a mother it was a mother telling a story. And that's when I knew what the story was about. This is about what we tell our daughters, what we don't tell them, um, what our mothers tell us, what they don't tell us, what happens when they run out of time. Yeah. Um, and, and how we pass things along when our history has been lost. What happens yeah. if you just don't know? If you're never going to know, how do you live with that? Yeah. I love that. Well, I feel like we're in like English 101 tonight because Kristen's asking you about themes and <laughs> about the symbolism in this book. So, like, you know, going to the next level here. Um, but you've got, you know, these chapel bells and loose bricks, and there's a lot of symbolism in this book. So, can you tell us a little bit about some of that symbolism, of course, without giving too much away? Oh my gosh, Christy. I going to drink. No, nope. <laughs> I don't get the champagne. I get the <laughs> we owe you so some champagne. We um, do, we do. The symbolism in this book. I'm like really having to think. I guess I I do that naturally as I write. I'm weird like that. I I the bell was important to me because the book Eleanor's Tale is not a true story. It's a fable. You know, like it's, it's, it's kind of like a game of telephone. These women for 16 mm-hmm. generations have passed yeah. down this story. So by the time it's written into the book, it has these symbols embedded in it because it's sort of the way these women are teaching their daughters lessons. And and one of them is a vision that they talk about the the, da- the dare heirs having of of who they will be in life and knowing from the, their mothers before them. 
Um, there's a tea in the book that they drink for this vision. And, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's real. Maybe it's just something comforting that they teach their daughters. Um, the bell is something that is not ringing anymore on the property. And the 13 year old girl is obsessed with repairing it. And she's lost her father and she, they have so many unanswered questions. And the idea of being able to make this bell green seems to her like a, a restoration that will bring her community together, bring her a family, bring her some kind of answers, bring some kind of joy where there's silence and where the stories are not being told. Um, trying to think what else? No, Patty, you was, read the book. no, no, that's, that's fantastic. The book is so multi-layered and has so many symbols and themes and but the truth is, it's also just a page turning, amazing mystery. So, you know, to, to dive underneath. But before we let you go from our after show, I need you to tell everybody where to find you, but also talk just a teeny bit before we leave about how you keep the creative spirit alive with Tinderbox, not only with your work, but with your classes and your groups and how people can find you and the book. And I think you're still on tour, right? I am. You can find That's tour awesome. dates on my website. I'm so tired. I will be there though. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you all do this. I'm like, how many days have I been doing this? Mostly it's just not been anywhere. You know, I'm forever. So I'm, I'm introducing myself and then I'm like, I got nothing else. I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, and I, I will say this. I know three of you very well. I'm so glad to meet you, Kristen. I'm so glad and to meet Mary you Kay, too. I, I want about to you. be, thank you. <laughs> I'm worried about that. I want to be in your grocery cart, Mary Kay. That we is all do. We haven't life. been in it either. I, I get to go first. I'm going to ride in the little front and Kimberly can ride in the back. Okay. <laughs> and there's no, so you can find me on my website. You can find me on all of the author places. You know, I love Instagram too. I'm kind of, I linger there more. I'm not on Twitter so much anymore. Um, as for Tinderbox, I haven't been able to hold a retreat because of COVID for the last couple of years. So I'm hoping to kind of reimagine that. I have some thoughts about that, but it's not happened yet. And it really is the same thing that you've done here during COVID. I, I went through kind of a dry spell. Maybe it was while I was trying to decide what this book was really about and, you know, personal life and kids and things. And I started hearing all these women say, I'm just not creative or, I used to be creative, but I don't do anything anymore. And I was hearing it everywhere. And I thought, well, that's, I can do something about that. So I rented some space and these eight women showed up that I had never seen in my life. And from my experience as a teacher, a lot of brain science with the kids that I worked with, because I had kids that were neurological challenged kids and I did a lot of creativity activities with these ladies. You know, it wasn't just writing, but it, right. it ended up being all about storytelling, all about makers and, and doing things with their hands. And, and as we did those things, all of these stories and all this creativity kind of came out of it. And I'm not a joiner. I'm a loner. I'm such a loner but I can't stand for other people to be lonely. <laughs> and yeah. so I guess I'm a connector and maybe that's what friends and fiction has been too, because I got more out of it than I, anybody else, I think. Yeah. And I miss it. So I hope I get to do another retreat soon. 
We hope you do too. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I got to go one time. It was so fun. Oh, you did. You were there. And we stood outside and I was like, how do you look this good standing here at the beach? We, were we all, say it all the days. <laughs> yeah. All the days. <laughs> Literally <laughs> just said it tonight. Yes. <laughs> we say it well, all the days. It's, it's annoying. It's, so it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> never ending annoying. Kim, we are so happy you came to talk to us and congratulations on this amazing book. I know oh, you're back on the road. You have so been such an inspiration to me, all four of you, but oh, Patty God. Henry, I'm telling you, sister, we've oh. known one another a long time. You are my big sister. Oh, that's great. You're amazing. All right, everybody out there, we will see you next week in hard hats as we celebrate <laughs> and the forest of vanishing stars and what are a we, night are we previewing them all right i my little <laughs> room happy all two right. years everybody happy two years happy, happy two, two years, years. years happy two years good night. good night thank you for tuning in you can join us every week on facebook or youtube where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.